I am so excited. I can't tell you, I've been slightly wired today. I am so excited about teaching this evening on uh, the third part of the Nicene Creed. And I'm, I'm excited about it not just because I'm an excitable kind of guy. I'm excited about it. In fact, I don't think I've been as excited about a sermon series that we've been in for a long time. I'm excited about it because it couldn't come at a more important time for us to work out what we fundamentally believe what we stand on, what we have faith in, what we stand the whole of the weight of our life upon. Uh, We live in a world that's shaking. You know, almost everything seems to be shifting and changing. We live in a world of ISIS and Brexit and Trump and, and, uh, and, and North Korea setting off nuclear bombs as a test. And, 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 and the world just seems to be shifting and changing. And it all could get very scary and people could get very anxious. Um, and I reckon that people are looking for an anchor for their soul, for their heart, and for their mind. And so over the last couple of weeks and over the next few, I, I want to suggest... What we believe about who God is and therefore who we are and and, and all that means to us can be something that can be the foundation of life and change everything. You see, in AD 325, some really smart theological minds got together. And they got together because Christianity had just gone viral this group of this small group of people in in a, in a small corner of the Roman Empire had, had spread like wildfire under the greatest of persecutions, and Christianity had gone like viral everywhere, and people were believing in God and believing in Jesus, and and, and under the greatest persecution, this was happening, and, and yet no one was actually sure what everyone believed. Because they had all these Old Testament scriptures and they had all these, these kind of writings of a guy called Paul. And then they had all these gospels and they weren't sure which bits were about Jesus and which bits weren't about Jesus. And so they had to decide, what is it we fundamentally believe? And how do we know what we believe? And so the Emperor Constantine gathered a whole stack of really smart guys. I think they probably were guys, unfortunately. And, and they sat around in a place called Nicaea, which is in northern Turkey on the Black Sea. And they talked about what do we fundamentally believe. And these guys, they gave us this. They gave us the canon of scripture. They said, this is the stuff that we think God said. And these guys then gave us also a, a lens through which we can read this. So we wouldn't misunderstand this. And for the last For the last 2,000 years, Christians of every flavor have been believing and trusting these statements of faith that we're going to teach through called the Nicene Creed. Every kind of Christian, you know, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, even Baptists believe this stuff. Uh, You know, Pentecostals believe it with a whoop whoop. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we all believe when we say we believe this Stuff. So we thought it'd be really cool if we spent a few weeks saying, what is this stuff? What do we believe? What does it mean? Can it really be an anchor for the soul? Can it really be? And, and this is really important. It's really important philosophically. Because you see, what you believe in your head and what you carry in your heart forms the actions and outcomes of your life. Let me say that again. That was really good. What you... 
What we believe in our head and what we carry in our heart forms the actions and outcomes of our life. If you believe something that's crazy, then you do crazy and the outcomes are disastrous. If you believe something that's foundational, that's solid, that's real, then the actions can be real and solid and the outcomes can be glorious. What you believe in your head and what you carry in your heart form the actions of your life, which result in the outcomes of your life. So this is really important stuff. This is fundamental stuff. This can mean that in the shaking, you can do some standing and you can do some shaping because you know whom you believe and you get it and you understand it. So that was a very short intro. And, and what, I, what I'd love us to do is I'd love us to read this creed together. It's going to come up on the screen. And this week we're going to do it slightly differently. We're going to split you down the middle. And the first page, this side are going to read. You can decide where you stand or not upstairs. And uh, this side is going to read the first page. And this side is going to echo with this, like an echo. With the with echo. With, with the second page. I told you I'm slightly wired this evening. I'm going to echo with the second page. And we're going to speak to one another what we believe about who God is. You up for that? If you can stand, would you stand with me? And let's, uh, let's get this on the screen. Are you ready this side? We believe in one God. The Father, the Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. Of all that is visible and invisible. This side. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. The only son of God. Eternally begotten of the father. God from God. Light from light. True God from true God. Begotten not made. Of one being with the father. Through him all things were made. This side. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the quick and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who with the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Wow. Please have a seat. It's great. There are several different versions in the English of the Nicene Creed. We chose this version very particularly for the phrase, the quick and the dead. (laughs) I love it. What a great phrase, the quick, just me then. Okay, the, the, the quick and, and the dead. Let's frame this really well. If the most important thing you ever think about is what you think about when you think about God, 
Let me say that again. If the most important thing that you ever think about is what you think about when you think about God. That's the most important thing you ever think about because if God exists and you are a creation of his and you're supposed to be in relationship with him, how you see him and how you relate to him is the most important thing that you can do. So what you think about when you think about God is the most important thing you ever think about. Otherwise, if you think the wrong thing about God, you can spend the whole of your life running away from a God who doesn't exist. Does that make sense? You can spend the whole of your life trying to appease a God who isn't the God that you're thinking about right now because you think he's a bad God who's after good stuff from you and actually he just loves you. He's a God, he's a father. He's... So if you get the wrong image of God, the most important thing you ever think about is what you think about when you think about God. The most important thing that you ever do is what you do with Jesus Christ. The most important thing that you do with your life is what you do with the person of Jesus Christ. And so we come to the first clause around the person of Jesus. We're going to spend three, three weeks hanging out with Jesus. And I get to do what the Americans would describe as brag on Jesus for three weeks. This is going to be great. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. What you, what you do with Jesus is the most important thing you will ever do because there was once a man who claimed to be God. Right at the middle, right at the fulcrum of the whole of history, there was a man who claimed to be God and seemed to do the kind of things that God would do if he walked this earth, who seemed to speak the kind of things that you might imagine that God would speak if he walked the earth. It's really important that you, you get this. This is fundamental to understanding what we're talking about. I often talk about two lists. Two really important lists that you would draw if you were trying to work out who Jesus is. List number one is the great list. Jesus Christ is top of anybody's great list. I mean, there are some great people who've lived on this, this planet. People who did incredible things, who have significant importance as far as the history of the world is concerned. You know, uh, Buddha would, would be on that list. Muhammad would be on that list. Martin Luther King would be on that list. Um, uh, Mother Teresa would be on that list. Nelson Mandela on that list. Arsene Benga would be on that list. All these kind, of, these kind of great people who did incredible things. And there is no doubt at all, almost unopposed, Jesus would be top of that list. I mean, Whole economies, whole constitutions, whole legal systems are built around the teachings of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, top of that list. But there is a second list. We call this the God list. These are the people down through the years who have claimed to be God. Jesus is also top of that list. But that list isn't populated with the, with the good people and the great people. That list isn't populated with the Nelson Mandelas and the, uh, the Buddhas and the Gandhis. And this list is populated by a bunch of guys who were totally crazy people. Who just said, I'm God and, and, and did 
crazy things. In fact, did some very dangerous things. There is only one name who is on both of these lists, who was incredibly great, who changed the history of the world, but at the same time claimed to be God. The most important thing you ever do in your life is what you do with Jesus Christ. The most important thing. The gospel writer John writes in, 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 in that famous passage of scripture that you hear read at Christmas time by the person who reads best in church. You know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God. And you know, that, 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 whole, that whole thing when he's describing Jesus, he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's talking about Jesus. The word that he uses is the word logos. It's the Greek word for word. And, and the Greeks would understand what, um, what he was talking about. And the Jews would understand what he was talking about. And if you take those two thoughts together, you get something of the meaning. That the Greeks would understand the logos as the framing and the forming structure within the universe. The foundational structure of the universe. And the Jews would understand Logos as the creative and mystical power of the world. And so John says, yes, both those things in the beginning, the creative forming power, the mysterious power of God was present and he was with God and he was God. Jesus is God. He, was, he is one of one being with God, said the framers of this creed. The, the Greek word is the word homoousios. It means one substance with God. You can't divide Jesus and God. They're made of the same stuff. And then John goes on to say in that reading, no one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen God. Everyone talks about him, but no one's ever seen him. But God, the one and only, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. In other words, all that stuff we talked about last week about God being just magnificent and, and, and he's omnipresent, he's here right now. He's omniscient, he knows all things. He's omnipotent, he can do all things and he's immutable, he doesn't change. All that has a face. It looks like Jesus. So when you see Jesus, you see God. When you see Jesus' compassion and his mercy and his grace and his relationality, when you see all that stuff, what you're seeing is who Father God really is at the heart of who he is because they are of one substance. They are together. And Jesus put on flesh and lived amongst us, living life like us and demonstrating God to us. The question is, the question the, that the framers had to work out is, is this true? It might be a claim, but, but is it true? Could it really be true? Could it really be true that this Jesus of Nazareth, who we all know is a historical figure, because we've read the stuff and we've proven this, could it really be true that he really is of one substance with the Father? And some doubted there was a guy called Arius. He was a priest, and he kind of got Jesus on the great list. He was saying he did incredible things there. Obviously, he's a remarkable guy and he taught remarkable things, but, but he can't really be God, can he? And they started to think, and the framers started to say, well, let's just think about Jesus. When Jesus said, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except they come through me. Surely this is what he's saying. He's God. When Jesus said, I and the Father are one, it must have been what he was saying, that he's God. It must be that. When Jesus was worshipped and received worship as if it was his rightful due, that, that must have been what he was doing. That when Jesus said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, surely that's what he was doing there. When Jesus claimed to forgive sins, something that only God could forgive, he must have been doing that there. And they began to say, well, do you know what? If Jesus thought this about himself, and the disciples thought this about Jesus, so much so that they were willing to go to their death for what they believed about Jesus being of one substance with God. And and the Jewish authorities knew that this is what Jesus was claiming. That's why they killed him. And if millions of people down through the years have said, not only do we believe this stuff, but we've encountered Jesus, he's alive and he changes lives, then surely he could be God. And so they wrote this stuff. Eastern Orthodox legend has it. And and it it, it is such a shame it's a legend, because if it was true, it would be so cool. The legend has it that St. Nicholas of Smyrna, who, if you don't know it, was a real person and was the original Father Christmas. Stay with the story, all right? St. Nicholas of Smyrna was at the Council of Nicaea, and he was like the kindest, nicest daddy kind of bishop. And he always said nice things, and that's kind of his Father Christmas image. And, And he was so mad with Arius that he should say this stuff, that he should say that Jesus isn't God when all the evidence suggested that he was, that he got up and he punched Arius in the face. How cool is that? Santa Claus defends Jesus. <laughs> That's brilliant. I'm sure it's not true, but if it were true, it would be so, so, so amazing. Is it, is it true? If what you think about God is the most important thought that you ever think, what you do with Jesus is the most significant thing you will ever do. i tell you why. Because the Apostle John, when he's writing, he doesn't just say, Jesus fleshed out God for us. He doesn't just say, you know, it's really cool. Because if, that, if, all that, if that's all he did, if, if we just got to see what God was like, we go, cool, that's great, isn't it? Isn't that really good? You know, we thought God was all smitey and mighty, but actually, he's really nice. And he, he looks like Jesus and he's compassionate. He does miracles and all. we just go, wow, isn't that amazing? No, and the Apostle John says, no, listen. Verse 11 and 12 of John chapter 1. To all who received him. To all who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. The most important thing that you ever do is what you do with Jesus because the potential of what you do with Jesus gives you the right to have a relationship with a heavenly father who made you and loves you and has a plan for your life. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so all I want to do in the time remaining, however long that is, is to give you the three titles that the framers of the creed give us here and to talk them through. They talk about Jesus being the Christ, they talk about him being the Lord, and they talk about him being the Son of God. And I I just got this idea that if we can get our head around that stuff, that will radically change our view of who Jesus is. So I'd love you to turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. 
And this is the sermon from now on. That was just intro. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And we're going to read a few verses from verse 13 through to verse 16. And I I just want to hang out here and and ask some questions about whether this could possibly be true. Because if it is true, it changes everything. This is like, when you get to Matthew chapter 16, some of the commentators talk about it being like the turning point in the Jesus story. Up to this point, it's slightly enigmatic what Jesus is doing, and his disciples are not quite sure exactly what they bought into. But, but as soon as they get to 16 onwards, it becomes very clear what they bought into, and Jesus is heading towards a cross. And 16 becomes like the fulcrum point, the point when all of that shifts and all of that changes. And Jesus asks a sneaky question. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. In other words, everyone's saying you're a dead guy, come to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And it kind of makes us think, that that's the question he wanted to ask in the first place anyway. <laughs> Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. So Jesus is outside this place called Caesarea Philippi. And he says to his guys, you know, you've been around the streets and you've been talking to people. What's the word on the street about me? What are they saying? And they come up with all these answers and Jesus then flips it and says, actually, the question I really wanted to ask is, what do you, who do you think I am? What are you thinking about when you think about me? And what are you going to do about me? Because he knows something that they don't know yet. He knows that he is the heart and the root and the fulcrum of the whole of world history. And he knows this is going to be the fundamental question, not just for then. It's going to be the fundamental question for 2,000 plus years. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, now, we need to do some study here. If you've got a piece of paper and a pen, then pick it up as a piece of paper on the chair in front of you. We provided it for you. So if you take a pen and a piece of paper and, and take some notes, because this is good, and even if it's not good, it'll make me preach better if you look like you're taking notes. So here we go. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Caesarea Philippi. Context is really important here. Context and location is fundamentally important for us to understand this thing. Caesarea Philippi was named Caesarea Philippi by Augustus Caesar, who who took hold of Caesarea Philippi when the Romans occupied Israel and renamed the town to be named after him. So Caesarea Philippi is a town named in honor of Caesar. And uh, Herod the Great, who was the ruler in the region, he built a huge temple to Caesar at Caesarea Philippi. And commentators say that Caesarea Philippi was one of like the jewels in the Roman Empire. Outside of Rome, Caesarea Philippi was a really significant place. Hold that thought in your mind. And now let's get technical. If you've hung around church for a while, you will know that the word Christ or the word Christos means Messiah. And the Jews were waiting for a Messiah, the character who was going to come and save them. 
But, but you'll also know this. When the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, was translated into Greek, the word Christos was applied a number of times in the Old Testament, over 20 times, to kings. And so the word Christos meant king or anointed king in the Old Testament. And so every time it, they, they came across a word for king, they would translate it Christos. So when Peter says, you are the Christ, he is making the declaration, you're the Messiah, but he's also saying, you are the king. And it was incendiary stuff. Because he's saying in Caesarea Philippi, this center of Roman culture where there is a temple to Caesar, he's saying, Jesus, you are the king above all other earthly kings, above all other earthly powers. You are the one worth worshiping and following. Even Rome. And what you also need to get, a bit more history, is that before Caesarea Philippi was named Caesarea Philippi by Caesar himself, it was called Panius. It was called Panius because the god Pan had a temple there and was worshipped there. Panius is where we get the word pantheism from. Pantheism, the idea that God is in everything and everything is God. So Pan had a temple there. Caesar had a temple there. And so when Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he's saying you are the king over every earthly power. You are the king over every heavenly power. There is no domain that exists that you do not stand over it as king. And that's huge. It's like a declaration of rebellion against the Roman Empire. And then Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. You're the son of God. Jesus is the only unique son of God. Now, once again, it's important if you read your Bible to notice that in the Old Testament, there were a number of righteous men and women, particularly prophets who were called sons of God. They were known as sons of God. But Peter says, you are the son of God. You are the unique son of God, not, not, not a son. You are unique in that you are co-eternal with God the Father. You are unique in that you do the same stuff that the Father does. You create with the Father. You sustain with the Father. And, and, and I guess the framers were looking back over Jesus' history and go, surely this is true because he had power over, over nature. Do you remember the time they said when, when they were in the boat and the wind and the waves were crashing around, there was a great big storm and Jesus was asleep and the disciples are really hacked off with Jesus and they're waking him up and going, Jesus, wake up. There's a storm here. And Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid. Stop. Everything stops. Because he's the son of God. And probably they remembered the time when, when, when Jesus was preaching in a house and there was absolutely, it was a rammy and, and, and someone started to dig through the roof and, and then this thing was starting to get lowered through the roof and it was a guy on a stretcher who couldn't walk and Jesus is eye to eye with this guy on a stretcher and he says, son, your sins are forgiven, which at one and the same time was disappointing for the guy and, and, and outrageous to everybody else in the room because only God, only the son of God could forgive give sin like this and Jesus says something very cool he says knowing what they were thinking so that you will know that the son of man has authority to forgive sin get up take up your mat 
and walk. Or maybe they had the idea in their head of the time when Jesus knew that his friend Lazarus had died. And it was like three or four days after he had died and been put in the tomb and Jesus is outside the tomb and they're weeping outside the tomb and then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And a dead man walks. And they're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. He surely was the son of God. And then Peter goes on to describe Jesus as Lord. Which is not unusual because Jesus as Lord is the most common phrase of, uh, regarding Jesus' personhood and his power and his competences in, in the New Testament. Over 300 times the phrase Jesus is Lord is, is used. Jesus is Lord. The word is kurios. It means governor. It means boss. But, but once again, the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek. And uniformly, whenever the covenant word in the Old Testament of God, the word Yahweh, the secret special name of God that described who he was in his power and his hiddenness was translated into the Greek. They gave it the word Lord. So when Jesus is being described in the New Testament as Lord... What we're we're hearing is he is divine. What we're hearing is that he is God. But when Jesus is called Lord, when he is called the boss, when he's called God, when he's called the governor, notice what he is doing as Lord because his name is Jesus. Which means he will save his people from their sins. So what we're being told is Jesus save his people from their sins, Lord. So what is Jesus doing with his lordship? He's saving the world. That's what he's doing with his lordship. You know, I, I often say, you know, we don't have to be anxious in this world because Jesus Christ right now is conscious, active head over all things. Every war, every, every disease, every university, every new discovery, every atom, every quark, every, every anxiety, every sickness, every, everything that you can imagine right now that could cause you anxiety and concern. Jesus Christ is active head over all things these things. What is he doing with his power? He's trying to save the world. That's what he's doing. He's trying to bring the world back into alignment. He's trying to restore all things to its its perfect original design. He's trying to save you. He's trying to free you. He's trying to forgive you. He's trying to put you right with God. He's trying to deal with all that turmoil inside your heart and life. He's trying to do that and he's trying to make you a restorer alongside him in this world. Jesus is Lord and he is here and, and, and this Jesus who is here asks the same question who, who do you who, who do you what about you who, who do you think I am I mean it often starts with a nicety like who, do, who are people saying that I am, which is Jesus' segue into a very direct and personal question which will change your life. But, but who do you think I am? And he comes for the first time, and, and some of you tonight, he comes for the first time and says, what, you, who do you, who do you think I am? 
Because the most important thought you ever think is what you think about God, but the most important thing you ever do is what you do with Jesus. And everyone does something with Jesus. Everybody. Every every, every religion does something with Jesus. The Muslims call him Isa, the greatest of prophets, and they respect him. And they say, well, we're not sure. We think he's here. That the Jews, they say, well, he's definitely not here and he's therefore not here and we just don't like the fact that he claimed to be Messiah. And Hindus, there are some aspects of Hinduism that suggest that Jesus is a reincarnation of one of their greatest gods. Atheists and agnostics, they say, well, Jesus is, is good, probably great, maybe even here as far as one of the greatest, most significant human beings that ever lived. Humanists would say this as well, but he certainly is not this because this does not exist. Nominal Christians, if that's a category, you know, the kind of people who, when you get a census that comes around, you tick Christian rather than Jedi. You know, they, they, they kind of think that, um, that maybe he's this, but they're not really that interested in being king or Lord, Christ in their lives. And so they keep him at arm's length and for them Jesus is some kind of superhero God who shows up every time everything goes wrong or some kind of bloke next door God who's really nice to get to know occasionally but he's not God. Who do you say I am? We believe. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And let me just tell you before we close, that statement is an act of defiance. It's an act of defiance in a world which wants us to believe that there are other authorities, other powers, other things that we should bow the knee to. It's an act of defiance to say we do not bow the knee to materialism because we do not believe getting more stuff will make us happier or more content. It's an act of defiance against individualism that says we don't believe that hanging out and looking after number one and making sure we're all okay is actually going to solve humanity's problems. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an act of confidence to say this. It says, do you know what? I don't need to be anxious. Although everything's shifting and everything's changing and I could, I could feel myself getting anxious and how are we going to bring the kids up and what will the future be and how's the, what's the finances going to look like and will Brexit or not Brexit and how's it all... Yeah, I, I, could, I could get very anxious about this world but he is Lord. He's Lord over my doubts and over my anxieties and over my fears and over my diseases and he is on the throne and he hasn't stopped being God and he has all the attributes of God because he's one substance with God. He just has Jesus' face and Jesus' character. This statement is an act of surrender. It says, do you know what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. I am not Lord and I am not king. My mind is not Lord, and it's not king. My feelings are not Lord, and they're not going to be king. My competencies are not good enough. I will not ultimately be able to fix it and sort it out. There is only one king in this universe. This statement is a question of the heart. 
Am I going to live my life as if this is true? Am I going to live my life as if he really is the greatest person that ever lived and he is God, the son of God, the king of the universe and the Lord over everything? Am I going to live my life? In other words, am I going to take the full weight of my life, my finances, my relationships, my future, my ambitions, my hopes and my dreams and am I going to stand the weight of my life on the belief in my heart that there is a God in heaven who is incredible, who sent his son Jesus to live on this earth to flesh himself out for us so that I might have the right to become a child of God and he went to a cross and he died so that I might be forgiven and he rose again am I, I going to have the confidence to do that or am I going to dip one, one foot in and one foot out and, and kind of hope for the best ruling nothing in and nothing out and blasting through my life here's the question who do you say Jesus Christ is who do you say Jesus Christ is the most important thing you ever think is what you think about when you think about God the most important thing you ever do is what you do with the person of Jesus Christ and he is here I believe it as much as I believe anything else in this world he's here and he whispers to hearts and minds he whispers to those who've never said I believe he says hey it's true he says it in that voice hey it's true and he whispers to those who've known it's true for years but have lived as if it isn't. Let's pray, shall we? So let's just let's just allow Jesus, King of the universe. There is no one above him, no power that can freak him, no worry that can destroy him. Let's allow Jesus, the Son of God, who is in control, the Lord of Lords, who is trying to save you and this city and this nation and this world let's allow him to speak and just in your heart maybe, maybe you want to answer that question who do you say he is who do you say I am and for the first time maybe the 741st time just decide in your heart that you're going to stand the weight of your life on this audacious claim that Jesus is God. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come.